Have they trust us completely? They hope that we share Care for them Cause they smile so sweetly We got to pick them up And hello again there from Left After Breakfast here on 3CR, your only radio left. Yes, your only radio left. And that's true, isn't it? Susanna here with you again on a beautiful Melbourne day, a beautiful grey-skied Melbourne day with beautiful, cool, cool weather. What is it, 27 or something? Just superb. And joined, of course, by my co-host from co-health i love saying that co-host from co-health uh glenn good morning glenn i'm here to communicate with you and the listener my dear oh yes of course. on community radio uh, okay no not a, not a problem but how, how are things glenn not too bad for a friday morning um i was just going through some old papers at home and remember nugan hand bank Oh, yes, I remember the Nugent Handbank. I can't remember all that much about it, but I remember it. Well, it's not much. There's not much. Not Nugent Handbank. It must be my uh, my Rickenbacker guitar has got the feedback. <laughs> That's a feedback muffled itself, okay. Um, Frank Nugent, an Australian lawyer, and Michael Hand, a CI operative, set up the Nugent Handbank in 1973. Uh, another player was a man called Bernie Houghton, who was a CI official. And. Um, they had a branch in Sydney, they had a branch in Hong Kong, and they were involved in, um, how would you describe it, a money laundering facility. The money laundering facility. Mm. Mm. There's nothing new in money laundering. No, course. God, no, no. But this is a bank which um, they were involved in drugs, finance, arms trading, and they worked closely for CIA. And, um, the Vatican Bank, you mean? Well, not too dissimilar. Not too dissimilar. Uh, Michael Hand, who was, as I said, a former CIA agent, he... Um, he wanted uh, Nugent Hand to become the CIA's open bank. And um, Nugent Hand became involved in deals with um, selling arms in Angola. We know there was a big deal organised for 10 million rounds of ammunition and 3 million guns. Finds by Nugent Hand. We know a technology spyship was organised by loans through Nugent Hand. So they were, by the mid-70s, they became quite a big player around the world. It's a big uh, a financier for the CIA and their covert operations. Uh, on the... On the senior positions in the bank, people like um, Admiral Yates, who was when, the... When, when was this, claim? He said in the 70s. In the 70s. Mid-70s. By, by 1976, people like Admiral, Admiral Yates in the US Navy was a key figure. Uh, William Colby, former head of the CIA. Uh, General Leroy Manor, head of US Pacific Command. Walter MacDonald, former CIA director. Dal Homgrom, former CIA director. And the Nugget Hand Bank was... Um, yeah, but become the CIA's preferred bank of um, bank of transaction, and um, they uh, they work quite closely. They um, they shifted money around to various operations around the globe. They were a bit of a, would you call it subterfuge? I don't know what you call it. Okay, they they, they moved money around in a very unusual manner to purchase things and to, to launder money because the CIA had their own bank originally called the Castle Bank. The Castle Bank was based in Nassau, in the in the Caribbean. And, uh, oh, tax-free. How'd you guess that? Oh, I don't know. I just guessed it because that's where our pr- pr- Prime Minister has a bank account. Uh, Mr Trumbull. At least one. Well, Castle Bank was based in the Caribbean, and um, the US, the Internal Revenue Service, like the USATO, they uh, investigated the uh, the Castle Bank and found the CIA were laundering funds and drug profits, and it was a, a main laundering company. So the IRS closed them. So replacing the Castle Bank as the CIA's bank of choice was Nugent Hand. And throughout the late 70s, they sort of, there's a whole lot of issues about loaning money to purchase weapons, uh, money laundering, being involved in drug trafficking and those sort of issues. And shock horror, on the 7th of January, sorry, 27th of January, 1980, Frank Nugent, the Australian lawyer, was found dead in his car. He had a, he had a Bible, which had a piece of paper in it, naming people like um, Bob Wilson, who was a big US parliamentarian, William Colby, head of the CIA. And... Um, Around this time, the, uh, the Nugent Hand branch bank in Saudi Arabia was closed and staff were ordered to leave. There was just all these kerfuffles kind of happening with Nugent Hand. The founder shot himself, people were going everywhere, and there's, um, there's a big meeting of the directors, and um, they were told by Michael Hand, the CIA person, that uh, if they didn't do as they were told, finish, uh, finish with concrete shoes, or their wives 
we did a little bit of in pieces. And all of a sudden, the uh, Nugent Hand Bank began paying a few clients out the way. And it closed. It owed over $50 million. Now, Michael Hand fled Australia in 1980. He um, reappeared in the US about three years ago under another name. So uh, Frank Nugent shot himself. The bank closed owing debts of $50 million. And Michael Hand appeared in the US under another name years later. There were investigations conducted on the Nugent Hand Bank in the early 80s. Um, there was a New South Wales Australian Joint Task Force on Drug Trafficking. Um, some of the key clients of Nugent Hand Bank were major ones involving criminal offences for drug running, people like Donald McKenzie, Malcolm Lord, uh, Barry Chitton, Bruce Smithers, James Sweetman, all of those involved in um, money laundering and drug trafficking. Uh, the bank was receiving a lot of money for t- alleged tax advice. Um, there was an investigation held by the Australian government. Royal Commissioner Stewart had an investigation in '85. And it stated that at all times, Nugent Hand Bank was insolvent and flouted the provisions of legislation as it then stood and that large volumes of money were moved in and out of Australia. Um, he wanted to blame the dead Frank Nugent and the missing Michael Hand for the bank's nefarious activities. And, um, yeah, it's interesting, Nugent Hand. I'm, I'm a Joan Cox who's in various office wrote about it years ago. I've sort of been forgotten about just how some of the, the dodge operatives in the world of finance operate. And, um Nowadays about the market and finances and financialization. Hmm, are these good people? Are these bad people? Are these dodgy people? And Nugent Hank is an example of sort of a big stream into the finance industry. So there you go. A bit of information there. But the CIA money laundering and drug trafficking. Yeah, well, I was just wondering, Glenn, how do you get to be like a former CIA operative or a former head of it? Do you resign or something? And then and then. You walk away from them. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, as I said... It just seems odd how you can be part of an organisation like the CIA. Michael Hand, the joint partner, was a former CIA operative um, in the Nugent Hand Bank. And the third key player was another former... Some kind of murderer, I suppose. Well, well, look, we know what these people do. Well, Bernie Houghton... They're they're mainly men. We know what these men men do. They're all men. Bernie Houghton was the third one. And Houghton was, again... Houghton ran... He was, like Hand, a former CIA operative. He ran weapons. He ran planes through the Pacific and Asia region. He was a key player in the Golden Triangle, obtaining opium to sell. He did deals throughout India, Pakistan, selling opium. And don't forget, only a few years later, we had um, Oliver North of the Iran-Contra deal, where there was funds raised by the CIA, wasn't it, to support the enemies in Iran by selling drugs. I mean, it's a very nefarious web, the whole issue of, you know, the secret service, financiers, and um, money laundering. So, I mean, Nugent Hand, again, there's not much written out there. And I said, Joan Cox wrote stuff 35 years ago. I can't find much update. In fact, the article I found hadn't mentioned Michael Hand had reappeared, but he has appeared. And He's reappeared? Yeah, it's three years ago in the US, under a false name. But the, he's dead, isn't he? No, no, he, he disappeared. Nugent shot himself, the Australian bloke, the lawyer. Hand so, is, yeah, so so he's dead. Hand, a business partner, just disappeared a few days after Nugent shot himself. He, Hand had a farewell meeting. He threatened bank, um, he threatened bank investors. You know, if, if you don't, if you say too much, oh, you'll be in concrete shoes, or your wives will disappear. And he disappeared. And um, you surmise that CIA had a, a new identity found for him. He was whisked away to Fiji in America. So without appeared... using a passport, so he, he, he didn't catch a plane or a no. ship? No. <laughs> I caught a plane, but not a plane on the commercial airlines. It wasn't through Qantas or Pan Am. He caught a plane. Um, you'd say as United States American Air Force. It'd be nice to be able to uh, leave the country and get around without, you know, using your passport and being registered as living. Gee, I'd like that. Well, again, I said, in the 80s, this behaviour continued for CIA. I mean, look, Nugent Hand had gone, but Ronald Reagan, he... Um, oh, look, but again, this is what happened. The Congress barred Reagan from raising funds to support the Contra rebels who were trying to overthrow the government of Nicaragua. So the CIA had their own money laundering links to Oliver North and um, contacts in the Middle East where you could raise money nefariously, as a word I use a lot today, nefariously to fund the freedom fighters, as the Contras were called. And these are butchers. They were called freedom fighters. The Reagan called them freedom fighters. They were mass murderers. Yes, they were. You know, and again, so these monies were raised behind the scenes to fund them through private sources, but were coordinated with the White House by Oliver North. So this was a private organisation raising funds, but the CIA and the White House were controlling the fundraising. You know, it's such a tangled web they weave, you know. 
I mean, a lot of it came to the surface in the Iran-Contra hearings in '87, but again, it's just, um, none of it's surprising. Just the, the murky water finances and, and the military and the secret police. Yeah. I mean, when Nugent hand claps, I said to you, they owed $50 million and the deposits weren't secured because they were all basically based on illegal activities, money laundering, drug sales, weapon sales. Uh, we know before they close, the Americans had a military base, sorry, numerous military base in Saudi Arabia. And Nugent Hand um, sent out what was called investment counsellors to where Americans were working in Saudi Arabia and told them to put their salaries in the Nugent Hand's Hong Kong branch and secure government bonds. So all these silly Yank servicemen, they brought shares in these bonds. Well, they weren't so silly. They were people working for their company. They, they were uh, in the armed forces. They were patriots. They, was, they, were, um, they were in the armed forces. They were. And then you got someone coming along telling you, know, someone's in the CIA, and they say, yeah. look, put your money in here. It's safe government stuff. Yeah. And your money's going straight back, you know, to... That's right. You know, to goddamn home and country. It is. And what happened? The bank went belly up. <laughs> They lost all their money, these blokes. They lost every single cent because none of it was secured. It was all based on smoke and mirrors and illegal trading. So, yes, but I mean, that issue of, you know, be the, the CIA and the opium, golden triangle, CIA and Contragate, there's a long, messy history of here. So that's my two bobs worth throughout the morning. Well, you know, you know me, I'm being numb. I've been a bit cooked lately because all my war wounds from, from the Viet- Vietnam War have been playing up. Please tell. So, but I've been watching a bit of uh, stuff on the telly mm-hmm. to distract myself from the, the, the agony of the old war wounds. And I saw a fantastic French um, TV series about a very secret service. Mm. And it's about the French secret service um, in Algeria. And it is oh. hysterical. Historical? Hysterical. It really, really is. The French were very nasty in Algeria. They were quite well, according to this thing, they were, they were extremely nasty and unpleasant, but they had very incompetent secret service people, very incompetent everything. In fact, the secret agents, they were really running um, big real estate deals and um, running drugs. Incompetent secret service? You went ISIS? No, I mean the French secret service. Oh. If you get a chance to see it, it's called a very secret service. Okay. It's subtitles, so it's not a problem. And it's set in the late fifties during the in Algeria, period? yeah, when Algeria okay. was on the when the people were getting very, very, very sick they of were. the the invaders, the oppressors being they there. Were. And an old colony when colonies when colonies were still part of the structure of our world. Well, yeah, World War Two brought it into the colonies. That's what we used to know. I mean, but there's different forms. It. As we used to know, I'm saying the old structures are gone. There's new structures now. They're called um, uh, aid, aid packages and repatriation loans. I mean, and I mean, um, well, we saw Vietnam take off the French and then the Americans, the Philippines, their independence. The Dutch, the French, all the colonies fade after World War Two. And, and the um, Portuguese actually said, "Okay, we're going home." In Angola. From Timor. The Portuguese left Timor, correct, in... No, they left in the 70s. But they just went away. Mm. Well, they had to. Portugal... Well, well, Portugal had the coup in 74. And he left over through the military dictatorship. So the old colonies like Angola and Timor gained independence because of the change in politics in, in Portugal. Mm. And Portugal's yeah, probably one of the, the poorest parts of Europe. I mean, how they could maintain colonies like they did is... Uh, an issue. Well, that's where they got their money from, the colonies. Correct. Well, look at Belgium and the Congo. Oh, I don't want to look at Belgium and the Congo. I tell you who bloody profited from Belgium and the Congo was bloody Leopold. Oh, he did indeed. He was that a butcher. monster. Le- yeah, the butcher Leopold. Monster, I say. He's the one that profited not many Belgian people. There not. are half a dozen very rich ones profited, but no one else. But mainly Leopold. He made an obscene amount of money from the, from the Congo. Well, as you said about the golden rule, those mm. of the gold make the rules. Those of the diamonds make the rules. Those of the copper make the rules. But again, the history of colonisation, it's, it's a sordid past. It's the way the Europeans sort of control the world. But those days are gone. That was the 19th and 20th centuries. Um, we're in a new epoch now. Is this going to be the epoch of, of China, of Asia, of the Knicks, you know, as the world changes? I mean, America, look, America is still very strong, but it's... Uh, it's the old colossus of feet of sand, America. I just don't know how far its strength can go and will go. Yeah. I mean, they, they can bluster and make noise and rant and rave and 
Mr. Trump can, you know, go on the world stage spreading his wealth and opulence, but I mean... And, and saying my button's bigger than your button. But who... Which he did say. But who really takes America seriously? I mean, who... I'm not saying you underestimate, underestimate America, but I mean, it's not the play it was 60 years ago. And the world's Or 20 around. years ago. Look, the end of Vietnam was the end of it. It's it, it had a... It, it didn't... Did not disappear overnight. We saw Granada in the eighties, the invasions in Iraq and stuff. But I mean, they couldn't maintain those things. I mean, they went to Iraq. Look at the mess they've left behind. Look at what's been happening. They've, they've spawned their own Frankenstein monster with ISIS and these groups. Afghanistan. Where's Afghanistan going? That's what's the mess they left behind there. So, Mister Trump can rant and rave, but I mean, it's um, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a different epoch, and China is the big player currently. It's up there, you know, because as, as, as I was growing up, you know, like America was like the big country. In fact, we used to call it America when it's not America, it's the USA. The United States of America. It, it's not America, you know. It's just one little part of the Americas. We say, oh, America. I'm going to call it a little America. It was such like a big deal. And I was brought up where I The times in which I was brought up was all about how America had saved us in the Coral Sea battle. America had saved us. I don't know. Well, well that's how I was. That's oh, the so was I. which I was brought up. Even in the 60s and 70s, we had the same story. still stories. there, how they saved us. And it was also like sort of how they'd won all, all, they'd come and saved all the world during the First and Second World Wars, too. All bullshit, all bullshit. But it was sort of the atmosphere, the atmosphere. <sighs> and I was from a sort of an anti American household as well. That there was. Um, you still had this idea that they were the be-all and end-all. And one of the big things, and I used to watch the TV in the 1950s, and I still am, in the 1950s and 60s. In the 1950s, I thought everyone lived like Aussie Harriet. I thought they all lived like mm. the Harriets. Mm. The Har- and I, the Harriet. The Nelson, I thought they all lived like the Nelsons. Aussie. Ricky Nelson? Yeah, Aussie and Harriet Nelson. I thought mm. they all lived like that. I all thought they all lived in these split-level ranch-style homes with two cars. Nice and, front yards and, and backyards. And, and a, a built-in um, servant. Milk bottle um, biscuits. Um, and bachelor father, yeah. where another another man with a nice home and a built-in servant and a built-in sort of like babysitter for uh, his teenage niece. All these. Um, I just thought that was what America, I thought that's what it was like. I thought they had that bad time in the... In 1929, you know, and a bad time in the 30s, and then it was all, well, I've now that this big, wonderful country again, and it was much more appealing to me and exciting than England, which seemed to me then still like a bit of a worn-out, old, clapped-out, you know, old figure on the world stage and crumbling away, which of course it was, and is even more now. But now I look at the USA and I think, how could I have been fooled all these years? How could I possibly even thought there was anything good about this country? Now I can't even, I can't even see it in the news without ah oh, shuddering, you know, and swiping, turn the page. Well, you know. America did play a role in winning both world wars. They didn't play the primary role. In World War One, they came in. We had the Bolshevik Revolution. The Americans came at the same time, so the Germans lost control of the Eastern Front, and the Western Front was strengthened by the Americans, which helped overrun the Germans. World War Two again, the issue was the Eastern Front. The Soviet Union, the Red Army on the war, but the Americans saved Britain. Because Britain was, you know, as you saw by that movie, by Darkest Hour, the British needed the Americans. Britain was isolated. You had the Dominions, like Menzies saying, yes, let's, let's settle with the French and the Italians and Germans, you know. So America did play war in both victories, but not the primary role. The primary role was played on the east, first by the Bolshevik Revolution and second by the Red Army 25 years later. Have you had a, have you had a chance to look at SSGB yet? No. It's very interesting. I saw Sweet Country this week. Mm-hmm. Um, Sweet Country, it's a, it's a, it is it's it, you just remember it reminds you about Australia's history. But we have a wide Australia has a black history, and the episodes in Sweet Country are set only what eighty years ago. And um, those mental that value those values those mentalities aren't too far from the surface in lots of parts of. Um, I'm sure Jeff Kennett still still holds them. Uh, I don't know if Kenneth does. Uh, well, I think Mr. Magoo would hold him. I think, yeah, yeah. I think people like Mr. Mr. Christensen and Mr. Joyce went too far from the mark of those ones. From from those who live outside the big cities, the attitude was the first strains has always been an issue. And um, I suppose everyone wants to find someone alive in them. So in those white societies, the edge of society is the indigenous Australian. This, but Sweet Country, strong film, not a pleasant film. Strong film, and it just shows, you know, 
what Australia's history is. And um, I've often said to you, my dear, and I'll say it again, white Australia has a black history. Yes, well, of course it does. Everyone knows this. No, but don't know it. People don't want to know about it. But people, you know, it's I mean, like, we know it. It's just obvious. Everyone knows it. But no, it's not right. I had, I had a lady on talk back a few weeks ago saying, uh, Australian Day is when Captain Cook settled Australia. Oh, hello, like, hello, Captain Cook settled Australia. Like, people don't know. There's a lot of ignorance out there. Australia days when Captain she Cook... She said Captain Cook, when Captain Cook settled Australia. I thought, oh, it's Christ actually that. the bloody anniversary of the time that the ship sailed in with convicts. That's correct. That's, That's correct. what the anniversary is of my my family being brought here in bloody manacles. It's a settlement of a new jail for the British. Yeah, that's but nothing of Captain Cook and settled Nothing Australia. to do with Captain Cook. And yeah, nothing cool. to do with settling. Uh, Australia Day is going to be January 26th. Always been Australia Day. Yes, it has been since 1999. 94. 94 was, oh, yeah. shit. And I'll say something. Five like, years out. If you said to me, okay, Australia has always been January 26. How long has Australia been around? Uh, 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 you know? No idea. Australia has been around since 1901. Australia did not exist prior to then. We were separate colonies. But again, uh, as, a, as a great leader once said, everybody has the right to be stupid, but some people abuse the privilege. Yeah. And sadly, they're the ones who have the loudest voices. They're Everyone ones... has the right to be stupid, but they don't have the right to try and push their stupidity on me. <laughs> you saw Malcolm Roberts in Parliament. I mean, for goodness sake. I mean, the means. He, he's a, he's a Dunning-Kruger type. But Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, yes, I know, but who, who are you talking about? Malcolm Roberts. Oh, well, that, that famous questioning price about Muslim immigrants, and he just but he asked like the same question four times, and no matter what answer he got, he repeated, like, "Please, when does the penny drop?" You know, what was he asking about Muslim immigrants? Oh, the, the number coming in, and you know about terrorists coming through in the betting process, and uh, only look, only he understood, Susan. Only he understood. Only he would know what he's on about. He, I mean, he got was it seventy-two votes, seventy-seven, seventy-seven votes. Well, there's five people left out who. Feel proud of yourselves of voting with the power. I mean, goodness me. I thought you must have been talking about the time that the little tinfoil man was asking Professor, <laughs> Professor Brian Cox, to say, show me some empirical evidence of climate change. So so uh, Professor Cox showed him. So so he said again, show me some empirical evidence. So Professor Cox said, here it is. Here's this and this and this and that. And he kept saying, yeah, but show me the empirical evidence. I was so embarrassed. I'm so glad that man. And then he ran for a seat in um, yes, in Queensland. Yes, yeah. It was, well, as he he didn't even get 77 votes that time. As his esteemed leader would say, please explain. And it just shows the mindset. Well, don't forget that his esteemed leader said when it was talk about well his nationality and um well not his nationality. Sorry, <laughs> listener, his citizenship. Mm. And his esteemed leader put her hand on her chest like an American, like an American. And she said, hand on heart, I have seen proof of his citizenship. And she repeated it, hand on heart. And she had, that was written, that was on, um, that that disappeared from all the newspapers. Didn't she say... And her Facebook page, it disappeared as soon as it's proved that she hadn't seen it. Didn't she say it was on Australian to question him? Yes, she did. Because everything's on Australian. If it doesn't, oh, looks truly, listener, what kind of... It's like a joke, isn't it? What, <laughs> it's not a joke, it's not funny at all. Can you imagine some aliens coming in, say say some Martians, we say Martians because that's usually, you know, that's for years, that's who the... Since Captain Cook's The, the little Australia, red men, little that, red men. That's who the, the aliens were, they were Martians. Came in, but they said, how does your, the place run? So, well, it runs, it's got these different governments in different places. Yes, I know, it's a bit silly, but... And they'd have a look and they'd say, well, who's this person? Who's this drum person? Who's this handsome person? You know, they would laugh if we tried to explain, wouldn't they? They really, really would. And as for Christensen, that great advocate for the sugar in industry. He eats lots of it. He eats yeah. copious amounts of it. Indeed, he, he, he does. He practices what he preaches, my dear. He supports sugar. He eats buckets a day. Well, he's, he's been dreadfully concerned about that some people, some people have actually some... Clever people who wouldn't know any better, you know, like, you know, they're sort of nutritionists and they're doctors and they're early childhood educators. Mm-hmm. People who really know nothing. They're, they're the elite. Yeah. Oh, people, people, no, who, they're the elite. people who know nothing, according to him, are uh, even daring to suggest that these copious amounts of sugar are bad for you, particularly with school children. And they want all this advertising with all this sugar in it 
dragged off or else warnings on packets of sugar. He nearly had a heart attack when he was told about, you know, this, the idea that could put warnings on packets of sugar. I thought, tell him again, tell him again, tell him again. I mean, the, the, if he came close to a heart attack, maybe next time he'll do it. I mean, the elites that are un-Australian, you know, ones people actually think and care for others, they're un-Australian. But again, I mean, we are one of the few nations in the world who had a sugar tax. You know? We have a huge issue of obesity and we diabetes. We don't have a sugar tax. We don't. So I'm saying we're one of the few. Does even Mexico? Mexico has a sugar tax. And again, we. I mean, the amount of sugar is put into processed foods. Goodness me! And also, Barnaby George, one of the sugar farmers. Well, no, no. The car manufacturers and the shipbuilders. They've been particularly. They've been shafted. They've been shafted. Yeah. Yeah, but that's about. Um, sorry, they're unionised workers. Ah, That's different. They're unionised thugs. That's right. Again, and in America, look, but all those great, well, not great, those well-paid unionised jobs are gone. Manufacturing's gone. You want everyone nowadays for car for courier sticker on the side with a self-employed person who makes himself. But the sugar cane farmers? They're, they're the backbone of the nation. Um, Barnaby will tell us. George will tell us. Don't even talk about Barnaby to me. I won't. Anyway, it's almost that time soon. You've got the... We're going to wind in a few minutes because you've got the bag man coming in on I, I breakfast. Just, I, I just mm-hmm. wanted to say that... Um, Please say. You mentioned Jeff Kennett before. Yes, I'm still, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still very angry with Jeff Kennett. I don't all want to this drama, it. All this drama about cuddly Robert Doyle. Who? And the sexual harassment charges brought against him. Three of them now. Also, it appears some a few years back, there were charges brought against him. Oh, there were complaints made against him from... Students of his, Robert, who Doyle from, oh, yeah. from, from school. There were students from school who've gone to the police and made complaints about him. But this, but it's all come out all at once. Now, all of a sudden, yes, there's this complaint and that complaint and that complaint and that complaint, all about sexual harassment and sexual assault. And of course, what did Jeff Kennett say? He said, Ah, oh, it takes two to tango. Well, there you go. That's Jeff Kennett for you. Robert Doyle. You're a school kid and mm. you say your teacher has done this and made you do this. And Jeff Kennedy says, oh, it takes two to tango. Look, if anyone's asking to be shot, now I'm not going out. I'm not saying mm-hmm. go out and kill Kennett. I know what happens. If, uh, when, when, someone when, said you, that years ago. I know what happens when you say kill Kennett. You end up in trouble. But I'm not saying that. And I'm not, no way am I suggesting we should, you know, I'm not promoting violence. And I'm not suggesting that anyone who's got a gun, please go and, you know, nail him for me. But truly, if anyone deserves it, it's Jeff Kennett. Now, Robert Doyle has a great claim to fame. No, I didn't say that. But Robert you know Doyle's I mean. claim to fame, in my lifetime, he's been the only leader of a state Liberal Party who's never been Premier. In no, he's lifetime, never been Premier. I mean, Bayou, Napthine, Napthine didn't Thompson, even know who he was. But they were always Premier at some stage. Doyle was the only bloke to live with Liberals in Victoria who's never in the Premier. Have you met guys the second one? When he was the leader, and there was a Camry leader after whoever it was that went before him, and uh, their, their, um, their votes fell by 14%. It went Naptine, Doyle, Ballyhoo, not, not, Naptine again. Now, Miss Blake, what's his name, Mr. Guy? Naptine didn't know who um, Robert Doyle was, cuddly Robert Doyle was. Anyway, Robert, well, he's not too cuddly right now. Well, he is. That's, I'm talking about his appearance. He looks like cuddly, doesn't he? <laughs> not to me, does he? No. I don't want to say he's, he's fat. No, you didn't say he was fat. I'm saying I don't, I don't want to say I, that. I don't think he's a very nice person. I don't judge his appearance. He's not a very nice person. He's a Liberal Party apparatchik with a bad uh, rotation around ladies and uh, not someone. And, you, and, and people underage, uh, underage. Uh, allegedly, I'd be careful, Susan. Allegedly, Alleg- well, complaints were made. Some and years complaints that have not been substantiated yet. So at this stage, we reserve judgment on these things. Anyway, I will reserve judgment. I've got to go to work soon. Yes, well, Jeff Kennett certainly reserved judgment, didn't he? It Jeff takes who? two to tango. Jeff who? Takes two to tango. There you go. Okay, I'm going soon, and I will say, in the words of my forebears, those wonderful words yet again on Susanna Duffy's left when, after breakfast. When, yes. when, when they were on the bloody ship. On the ship. On the 26th Australia. of January being dumped on the shores. They said chocula. Chocula.
3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Ahoy there, shipmates. This is Captain Trash from the Port Phillip Echo Center in St Kilder. Did you ever hear the crow in the sky going, ah, ah, ah? Stands for reuse, reuse, recycle. And you heard first on 3CR. Yes, I wanted to mention about the listener sponsorship, of course. You know, of course, listen, that we run on listener sponsorships. We run on what comes out of your back pocket. Could you close that door, please, bag man? It's very noisy. Thank you. There are obviously people, there's a bit fewer people out there listening. Well, I hope there is signing up for their listener sponsorship. Isn't that right, Bagman? That's the cue you just had to push through to come in the studio. Exactly. The, the people lining up uh, out in the street, uh, out in Smith Street and Collingwood, lining up to take out their listener sponsorship. Well, we have to, I have to say, listener, that this is slightly exaggerated, the amount of listener sponsors. And it is listener sponsors who keep the radio station going. When you become a listener sponsor, you get a part of this radio station. You get a little part of it. It's yours. You get a little share of it. And you can vote in various things that we vote in around here. And they're not bloody survey opinion polls like this government does. No, we get vote. But you get to own a piece of a radio station. Apparently there are elections on at the moment, Susan. Anybody that uh, is a listener sponsor has the right to stand for the management committee and any other positions that are vacant at the time. And both you and me spent our time on the management committee at this station. I spent most of my time with the Federation. Did you? With the Community Radio Federation. Oh, that, if, if you want to be picky, it's well, the Community it's Radio a, Federation 3CR Not the limited. management committee. Not, not the management committee. They were, they were different... Um, which is a different kettle of fish. The Federation controls the management. It doesn't matter. Oh. But go on. We'll go. Doesn't Talk matter. about going into politics. Eh? Well, doesn't I, matter. I just um, wanted to remind people that it is that time of year. That time of the year to, um, to front up with you some, some money and uh, become a listener sponsor. Now, uh, today's a sad day, Susan, because uh, the burial of uh, Simon Miller taking place this afternoon, I think it's a fairly private affair. Yes. Um, but uh, one of the uh, staunchest trade unionists that I've ever met um, in the last 30 years since I've known Simon, so it's a sad day. Um, he was involved at the Richmond Secondary College, the closure there, the occupation there for a whole year, um, and then went on to work for the AMWU. Um, so... Sad, sad day for trade unionists, but uh, well, I'm sure that uh, they'll be planning a send-off for him at some stage. Yes, it is. We've said goodbye to a few people this mm. year. Well, Vale, really. Vale, yes. Mm. Are they up to Vale? Mm. Yeah. Really? I've got no... What's Vale mean? Farewell. Oh, farewell. Goodbye. Farewell, goodbye. It's sort of... Hail and farewell. That's, oh, right. It's what they said in ancient Rome with oh, right. with burials, with well, <laughs> or fires that burnt them off, or whatever. But they would say, "Ave, atque right. vale." Hail <laughs> and farewell. It's a great. You don't say it to your normal peasant, your farmer in the field. You say it to someone of some standing within the community, someone who has done something, someone like a Caesar. What's wrong with some? Poor bugger in the field that uh, dies. Then then you just say, well, nice to have known you. Yeah, yes, mate. Well, on on your way, mate. And you say, nice to have known you, but you don't don't use the full 
High Latin Ave at Quivale. Well, just so that uh, we get the facts right, uh, when I shuffle off the Morton Coil... I'll say Vale, bag man. um, um, What are they going to say? What are they going to sing? What are they going to play? Kiss me as you wave me goodbye. What was that song? Wish me luck as As you you wave wave me me goodbye. Cheerio, (laughs) I'm on my way. I don't think that's really... Oh, well, look, if you really want that... My funeral. If you really want that bag, man, put it in writing, and I urge you to, listener, as well. If you have particular things that you want at funerals, things that you want done, if you want... There are people you don't want there, or things you don't want said, or things you don't want done. Well, put it in writing now. Good heavens, I just noticed that Irene was sitting there. (laughs) <laughs> You've just noticed. I've yes. been here for uh, does it? Yeah, couple minutes. of minutes. No, yeah. three. Minutes. Three. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but you, good morning to the. But, uh, but remember that too, Irene. You put in writing yeah. what yes. you want for your funeral, including songs. Look, it's very difficult. I have seen some very nasty arguments between siblings between friends when someone's died and they say, oh, he would have hated that song. Mm. The other one saying, no, he loved it. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Mm. You know, and this sort of, you know, as if it matters, but it does really matter when right. the people left behind are grieving and they, you know. I just want them to go to, uh, uh, go and have a few drinks. Well, oh, maybe you should. Go and have a what? A few, a few drinks. Well, and, maybe uh, you should put the money on the bar. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm going to do that. Well, give me the money well, and uh, I'll make sure I I've put got, it on the uh, bar for you. I've got uh, insurance, funeral insurance. Oh, have you? Oh, have oh, you? Well. <laughs> so I'm going to pay for Don't a, you know about that caper, funeral insurance? We'll talk about it next week. I'm going to have my yeah. ashes off the St Kilda Pier and then where people can go up to the, up to the pub. Well, it won't cost you fifteen thousand dollars to strew your ashes if you were having a funeral no, in a golden a coffin. Oh, right. Okay. Normie Rust had had <laughs> Normie Rust had mine worked at once. Yeah. When I would had that bad. Is that Normie Rust the BLF? Phone? Yeah, with the bum oh, cleavage. Right. It was some. Some, I thought no. you said BLF thug. What did you uh, say? BLF fame. Oh, I thought. Oh, Normie's too big to be calling chair. a thug. Of course he is. Oh, yeah. He's got, a, he's got a house down at I mean, uh, yeah. Venus Bay. I remember him saying some years back. <laughs> you haven't seen Norman no, Russ recently. That's no. when I'd been... Um, Is he bigger? No, he's smaller. Oh, he has he? to jump around in the shower to get wet. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. When, when, when I was um, bowled over during uh, uh, some action here, some police action here, and I got bowled over, and I was you know, a bit battered from it, and Normie Russ told people, yes, he's got had it all worked out, if... Because I probably would cark it, you reckon. She's probably going to, you know, sort of drop off the thing. But they were, they were going to get my ashes and they were gonna <laughs> put them in a can of beer, oh, an yes. empty can. They're going to throw it into the sea off Venus Bay. That's fair enough, too. It would have just floated around there forever. Yeah, so I said I don't want Until that. Until a shark like ate it or something. How I sad. I see you mentioned uh, your favourite person uh, recently. I noticed the comment that you had about Jeff Kennett. Yeah. Now, apparently uh, Jeff... Jeff yeah. has been in the news lately, along yeah. with Robert Doyle and Cuddly Robert Doyle, yeah, <laughs> Banana B. Joyce, and whatever. Oh, oh was it? Stop it! Yeah. I wanted to bring your attention. Actually, talking of people like um, Banana B. You know, bloody Banana B. Joyce. Do you remember a woman called Andy Fox? No. Last year, she published an account of the terrible things that Centrelink robo-debt had done to her because of an error by her ex-husband, an error of something to do with three days. Mm -hmm. He was three days too early or too late to put in some tax return or something. And she was hit with thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of robo-debt from Centrelink. When she said no, when she finally got through to someone and said no, I don't, they found more debt. Oh. It was a bloody harrowing account and it really resonated with lots of people who've, who've endured the torturous process of having to get through to or explain something to Centrelink, and especially when you've been notified of debt that you don't really owe. Um, that dreadful automated system that harassed and threatened you, you know. But a week after she had gone on, to say about her terrible accounts, her terrible, her terrible stuff with um, Centrelink Robo Debt. Fairfax journalist Paul Malone 
published an article titled Centrelink is an easy target for complaints, but there are two sides to every story. Oh, really? And that article contained <laughs> private details of Andy Fox's interactions with Centrelink, private details of her history with Centrelink, including the three weeks in 1998 she was on the dole. Ooh. She was on the dole for Ooh. three weeks, not for God's sake. Yeah, jail. The sausage woman. roll. That went on about... All of her private life was put when up there. When was this? Uh, last year, when oh. she was divorced. Some details what? about that before all. And he published that. And under the authority of the Minister for Human Services, Alan Tudge. And Alan Tudge later tweeted the URL of that article says this is this is all all about. Now we just let's get this clear, listener. Centrelink released the private details of an individual citizen without her permission in order to present Alan Tudge's side of the story. Well to the only point of that was to try to make Alan Tudge look a bit better with this dreadful robo debt thing. Now if that isn't that an invasion of privacy Absolutely uh, Yeah. Um, a government department and yeah. the minister for that government department releasing all these details <clears throat> of all this poor bloody woman. Suppose you wanted to make a complaint about the health department. Well, I wouldn't be going to because I don't want my health details mm. read all over the paper. But where did he reveal other... all these details? In, in Parliament? In the age. Oh, in the age. In the age, an article. No, in he's the good as Parliament. In an article in the age. You got yeah. the details. You know, I would have sued the pants off. That's um, because privacy. Oh, Bugger yeah. privacy. But in the same time, we have someone who's quite possibly an alcoholic, someone who has a problem with alcohol, who's been having an affair with one of his staffers since at least 2016. But we can't release details of that because it's private. It's private mm. business. Well, if, it had been, if the name had been uh, Gillard... Can you imagine? Mm. Well, we got. Imagine if Julia Gillard had had an affair with, with a somebody in her staff, and uh, well, she'd have to get pregnant. He wouldn't be able to, uh, and uh, and she'd been married and left her husband uh, and children. Oh, she aunt. left her husband and children. Mm. Went off with this young bloke. Mm. And, uh, got pregnant. Suppose it was Tanya. Pil- suppose it was Tanya Pilmasek. Yeah. Imagine what would. What it would have been like. Well, we had enough drama about Julia Gillard oh, because, because she, was she wasn't. No, because she wasn't married. Yeah, and she, she was deliberately, married. deliberately living barren, living in sin. Yes, but that's people. But that, well, I suppose that there's nothing private about the fact that our former prime minister was a single woman. There's nothing really private about that. But in yes, but men see some men yeah. see that as a, a yes, major but, flaw because. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, if you're not a lesbian, there's something really her, wrong with you. It means you're not under the thumb. Her yeah. partner was also a hairdresser, so therefore yeah, that, yeah. he must have been gay. Yeah. Um, ditch the witch, you know. Yeah. Uh, people uh, from the Liberal side saying that uh, someone should, should slit her throat. Alan yeah. Jones saying that uh, we put her in a, a hessian bag and throw her, t- in, the, throw her in the sea and whatever. And here, here we have poor little <laughs> the cowardly the cowardly people within the media yeah. that uh, knew that. This was happening with Barney Barney uh, Joyce. Uh, that he separated from his wife. He'd made a um, a staffer pregnant, uh, and he he stood up for um, uh, for marriage. Uh, and as it comes traditional out, marriage. As it comes oh, out, yeah. yeah. As it comes out, actually. Oh yes, yeah. he's also pompous and and about and self righteous about mm. marriage. Mm. But, but uh, he's uh, the head of his department. But the point Very is, respected woman in charge of his department in 2016 went to the Prime Minister about this going on in the office, about Barnaby and the staffer. Well, the point and is... The point, and she was... A job was created for her with higher pay in another government oh, right. department. Now, but that's private. We can't say that. That's what the journalist said. Oh, we couldn't say that because it was private business. But this all should have been revealed in the by-election for New England. Absolutely. Uh, if people had have known <laughs> that uh, Barnaby Joyce was rooting his uh, his staff and member and, and got her pregnant, yes. he'd left his wife. Uh, we all knew that uh, his kids had been uh, uh, going up and down the main street of uh, uh, where they live uh, with a megaphone saying that Barney, 
Barnaby's uh, Joyce. Barnaby's a, a bastard. Barnaby's a bastard. The media knew that, yep. and they were cowardice in not revealing it yep. to the, to oh, the members. Because it was private. I oh, know, but we, we, we uh, mentioned it well before Christmas when we come yeah. aware of it. Uh, we said what before he was up the election, to. Yeah. yeah, but nobody else cared about what we were saying because the media, in this case, was controlled by the. The uh, Liberal Party. Do you think so? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I just thought they were being really nice and saying we won't discuss, <laughs> well, you know, his private details. You, you can imagine if we, uh, we go back to Julia Gillard, um, what the um, what the Murdoch press would have done yeah. with this story. Uh, it would have been every day um, um, uh, the, the well, main headlines. Well, to a much lesser extent, when I, when I was uh, head of the nurses' union, I used Did you to get, get pregnant? <laughs> no, thank goodness. Uh, but I used to get the uh, occasional journalist ringing me up saying, oh, I've heard a rumour that you're sleeping with someone. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, oh, and I'd go, oh, hardly. I'd say, oh, no. Oh, no. But, you know, there, there, were, there were reports about, I think, about three, three men. Um, I heard of a number of men. But then I also heard that you were dead set dyke. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Haven't heard, heard that, that one. Oh, we were spreading that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> I kept, you know, I just thought, isn't that odd? You know, this mm. stupid And also, stuff the other thing was that I was taking, I was taking advice from, um, oh, what's his name? He's dead now. Um, Not Norman Bill. Gallier. Bill. Bill. Bill Hartley. Bill Hartley. Ah, oh, Bill. Yes. Baghdad. Baghdad. Bill. Uh, yes. Oh, Love uh, Bill. I did love Bill. Mm. Uh, I must say, though, that Bill did jump on top of me in my car once. <laughs> That's against Bill. Against my wishes. But uh, he did get off and I pushed him. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> even though he's dead, he can't defend himself. But sorry, Bill. Uh, but Well, he shouldn't have jumped on you. No, he shouldn't have. And this is the morning for it because Fane, as I was coming in, has, has had women on telling. And this particular woman who was uh, next to Robert Doyle at some medical conference thing and her yeah. fiance was going to be given a prize or something and she was sitting next to Doyle and then her fiance was on the other side and she told the story that has been has been in the paper oh so it's not allegedly well, well it's still she's already yeah no well she's just straight out and said it oh, right, that, uh, okay. and what he did in the, in the conference but it's private that's not anymore. Oh, <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently there's been an enormous increase in people coming out and making complaints about all sorts of places. Including oh. students from me yes. was a teacher. Oh, yes. Now that's a concern. Oh, yes, but also about others, you know. Yeah. Uh, apparently the complaints, complaints about harassment, sexual harassment and stuff has gone oh, through the roof, yeah. which is good. Yes. I'm really glad that's so really happened. Uh, because you do put up with it. I've put up with it in the past. Well, when I've, you're younger and you sort you, of, you don't know what to do. Back you just in the, fight your way through back it. Back in the 70s. Um, yeah, you I mean, yeah. I've told Free love. Well, I, no, I, I, at one point 70s. when I needed some some money and I'd been doing midwifery, I went, I was going to work, I don't know whether I've told this, but I went to work Ooh. as a housekeeper in this bloke's house just for, I mean, Nick was very young then. Yeah. A baby. And uh, the first night I was there, he was trying to get in the room that I was in. I was accommodated in the house and uh, I had to barricade the really? <laughs> door so he couldn't get in. Yes. Did you leave the next day? I left the day? next morning. Oh, good. Yes. But things like that. Or I, get, I got a ride and home with a th- friend's... They were cons- that was considered normal. Yeah. Well, was I got that? a ride home with a friend's cousin one night from her party and she was a good friend of mine. And I'd never met him, though. He drove me down to the Alfred. I was working at the Alfred. Uh, we stopped in in the inside the Parking grounds, bank. yeah, just to let me out. And he goes, "I want to feel your tits." Really? Yeah. I was gobsmacked. Like I, uh, what? No, uh, I said no. And I said, as a matter of fact, there are a lot of security guards around here, and I'm going to yell out in a minute. And he said, "Oh." Uh-huh. If off then. Um, there weren't any security guards around, but I pretended yeah. they were. Yeah. God, um, I... But as you say, that was a sort of... It just, oh, yeah. That was how yeah. life was. It, yeah. My... Always, my worst experiences were always in the Litzin Myers. I got oh, the really? surgery, I'd be going up and down the... I have been grabbed. I have been oh. really grabbed savagely. I've had tits really hurt. 
grabbed wow. so much I had been bitten on the face. What? Like, yeah. Once when I was holding the pusher, a man leapt over and bit me right on Ow. the neck. Yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as the doors opened, he ran. Oh. But, but, I, mean, but I had the baby in the pusher. Mm. I suppose my tits were more prominent. Well, you know, it was always hazardous being on a tram that was packed with people. Oh, you always had some bloke pushing no, up against no, you from behind. I used to get off and, and, and wait for the next tram or the tram after or the oh, tram if after. I, if I was in I a hated the tram. You just, it was just part of life. Yeah. Uh, You'd the, have them pushing I, up the I only ever <laughs> I only ever struck back once, and that was um, in Preston Market when I was trying to buy something, and this persistent bloody creep behind me kept, shoving a portion of his anatomy into my back and I just lost it and I turned around and got him with my elbow in his, oh. in, in his neck yeah. and, and then Very continued good. the arm down to chop towards the sort of anatomy. He fell to the ground oh, and a butcher left the counter saying, what did he do to your love? And I thought, no, I'm, not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting out. Yeah. Well, the thing is, on the, the tram... the butcher would have done the same thing. On the tram, you think you're imagining it for yeah. a little while, like you're there, and this happened many times because uh, on packed trams... Oh, many. And, it was just uh, part of the think, course. Oh, am I imagining that or was that bloke really pushing up against me? <laughs> No the back. And they were, they were. It was par for the course on trams, wasn't it? Yes, par for it was. the course. And no, it uh, wasn't. I never yes, done it. Was. it. <laughs> Didn't you? No. You never used trams, I suppose. We're talking about women. <laughs> no, of course you did. It's par for the course for women on no, trams. No, they didn't do it to you. Oh, no, no, no. Oh. I, I meant oh, I never done it. No, of course you oh, didn't. No, no. no. But, I mean, any women, woman of our <laughs> age, I read, has been into life and say, well, this was just par for the course. It's just... Yeah, just had, yeah. Well, when I was about 14 or 15, oh. a, a bloke exposed himself. He, he used to come down to where I lived in the little town, country town near the sea, uh, a lot, and he started talking to me. He was a bit older than me. I don't know how old he was. I was young. And, uh, and then one day he offered to, you know... He got me into his car and out it came. Well, I just jumped oh, out of the... I was so horrified. I was a convent girl. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I've never seen anything like but it But it still life. happens anyway. It yeah. Happened, but you now you say, that man did that. Yeah, yeah that's right. Whereas back then you'd be too afraid or if you I did say tell it, anybody. Or if you did... Yeah, too afraid to embarrass, or if you did manage to tell so it, then no one would believe you. Yeah, well, when we used to walk down from St Vincent's when I was nursing down into the city... Uh, this bloke used to run out from, you know, where the um, uh, the College of Surgeons, uh, surgeons is? Yeah. He used to the run Royal out of there. College of yes, surgeons. the Royal College. He used to run out of there. Really? Yeah, exposing himself. He wasn't a surgeon, was he? He may have been. <laughs> I have no Golly. idea. But we sort of used to laugh it off a bit because we were nurses, you know, and you'd seen yeah, everything. You'd seen everything, yeah. By that stage, but, and, you know. And you'd seen one of those before. Yeah, I had. My <laughs> yes. very first patient exposed himself. <laughs> oh, nurse, can you wash me down here, please? No. Bang with the flannel. Oh, my you do God. <laughs> my mother, coming back home one night, from, well, about 7 o'clock one night, with with my mother and walking down that street and a fellow leapt, I was, I was 13, I think, a fellow leapt out of the lane with the overcoat on, you know, pulled the yeah, overcoat. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, of course, I, oh, my, I shrieked. I was just so frightened of this sort of monster. This yeah. Thing. And, and uh, my mother said, you'll get chill blains on it and serve you right and just kept walking. <laughs> and I kept thinking, next... If, the next man who proposed himself to me, I'll say that. You'll of course, get your bones. But of course I didn't. No. The next one I was proposed, no. I, I just ran. I, you know, you, you, uh, there are some times you. when I wish that I had a gun. Yes. Honestly. Now, you're our legal representative on the, um, on, <laughs> on the program. You she can't. I was going to use She's it. Not. No. She says sometimes there are times in there her are past times. that she Well, the time I was raped in my own house. Yes. Mm. I wish I'd nice had a gun then. Golly, yeah. this is... Definitely uh, controversial this morning, isn't it? It is. No, we're just Ooh. saying oh, this is what happens oh, to women. Oh, exposing our secrets. This, yeah. is, what, this not, is what happens, happens to, women. to women. I mean, it happens to most women who have got something fact, to recount. In I wonder if there's any woman that I know that hasn't been raped. Oh, God. Um, well, I mean, seriously. Of, I couldn't talk about it for... 1976 it happened. He went oh. to jail. I couldn't talk about it for probably uh, 30 years or so. Did I was the person so go to jail? Yes. Oh, good. They caught him straight right, away, just about straight away. But, mm. uh, uh, yeah, I had my son in bed upstairs and he had a knife and a stocking mask and tied me up. Guy. 
revealed all this morning, isn't it? Yeah, but that that was someone you didn't know. Yeah, which is what he knew of me. And he'd been stalking me. And, uh, were, you, were you the famous Irene Bolger back no, in those days? No, I was you a nurse at the Austin. You get to achieve fame. I was a nurse at the Austin oh, Hospital. Right. And uh, he'd heard about me from... I used to share a house in Heidelberg with another bloke. We were, weren't together. We just shared a house. And then uh, I moved out. He moved out. And we went our separate ways. But he, he was at... Uh, what's the... Just down the road... Um, it's the um, army barracks thing in, in uh, Rosanna. Oh, yeah. Rosanna. Heidelberg repatriation. No, no, no the Rosanna bar- army uh, barracks. Oh, is barracks? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Down in Rosanna yeah. Road. Yeah. He was... Uh, Watsonia, he, it's called. Watsonia. Watsonia. That's it. He was I down there and he, he must have told this bloke about me. <sighs> and uh, this bloke sort, decided yeah. he was uh, going to come and pay me a visit. Go on. So he had a sort of rake kit with him. Uh, anyway, fortunately, I picked his picture out. He was on the record of uh, oh, having good. gone into somebody else's flat. Done the same him, thing. No, he hadn't done that, but oh. they had his picture anyway, so they picked him up mm. same night. Well, it's all all been revealed this morning. Yes. I, well, hope this, see, I, I hope this is going to be in your book, Irene, the oh, book that book that's I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. I was going to talk to you about that because yeah. um, mm-hmm. I think it's about time I started. Yes. Um, but, yeah. But, well, you it's know, a good way to start it. Yeah. Uh, start if you'd the conversation. Me, I would never have spoken out, let alone on the air. I would never, ever said anything to anybody about it. Mm. Uh, it was like it was my fault or something. Mm. I've blamed myself uh, oh, for yeah. a long time. Yeah. But also it was embarrassing. You just couldn't talk about it. Yeah. You just say, oh, my God, you know, I'm one of those. And then I realised, hey, hang on a minute, it wasn't my fault. That's right. <laughs> so I decided that I'd, uh, I would tell people. And I see that um, in in the this morning's papers there's an article that says Victoria is the safest it's ever safest for the last ten years. Yes, now, it is. I think now. Yes. I've got to admit, I almost fell into it. I almost fell into Peter Dutton. Uh, um, mm. Well. Uh, Yes. The Prime Minister Did you see what Turnbull Dutton said about Adam Band. Yeah, I know, Ugh. but I almost fell into it because uh, Dutton said you couldn't go out to a yeah. restaurant uh, yeah. anymore. Um, We're uh, too scared to go out and eat. Turnbull yeah. was saying that we had the greatest crime uh, uh, gang- gangs in in <laughs> a thousand years. So every time I heard about uh, a robbery. No matter what kind it was, whether it was an armed robbery or a burglary or yep. home invasion, I automatically thought of Sudanese. Yeah, you? I, because they put that. In I almost time. fell in. Yeah. To it, and because so I thought, no, hang on, hang on, you're falling into the uh, Dutton and uh, Turnbull's I've, caper. Can I tell you that I've represented most of the people I've ever represented for burglaries and going into people's houses and assaults and stuff, uh, were white, Australians. Oh, exactly. But They weren't, certainly weren't Sudanese. But we're being conditioned <laughs> by it's, what Dutton and what Turnbull absolutely. and what uh, Matthew Guy um, from the Liberal Party here yeah. in Victoria have been trying to con- condition us for that every crime that's committed is, is by committed by a black gangs man. And they're gangs, and yeah. they're not gangs anyway. They're young they groups of... Yeah. Yeah, no. You know, we well, used to be around with the budgies and widgies. Uh, no, I wasn't a widgie. I Were you was a, a sharpie? I was, no, no, a jazzer. Oh my god! Would you believe we used to bash up the jazzers? Yeah, I can imagine. Because I really, is. <laughs> they, they deserve to be bashed up. I reckon because we must, must have been painful. Yeah. I, I used to go to a place so called Downbeat. I used to go to Downbeat. Downbeat, and you'd sit up there oh my in this god, small room, showing and we'd all be age. sitting there going, really, yeah, all night with. We were, were you, so cool. Were you consuming <laughs> drugs of any kind? No. 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 No, no. no. We're pure oh, as a driven snow. I was. Oh, my God. Almost. The <laughs> drug-free, innocent days of youth. Yes, just racing off the okay. no, but, no, no, but, I, but actually, I look, I'm not a very um, outgoing or, or person with a sack of silver, uh, <laughs> but I had been out for dinner three times since Dutton first gave me the warning that you know, Mel, Melburnians <laughs> were too afraid. And I came back home and immediately, immediately sat down and emailed him. And, you know, emailed his office and said, I've just been out for dinner. 
Yeah. And yeah. I was a lot of size bit scared and I was really safe. I just thought I'd let you know yeah. that yeah. I'm safe. No, you're safe, yeah. Well, Thank we- you for your concern. Yeah. Next yeah. week I'd like to tell the story of a Sudanese young man that I had to represent. Oh, because, we'll hold you to that. Yeah, I will for next week yeah. because it's it's it, it gives an indication of what Sudanese young people have been through before mm. they get here. Yes. And you wouldn't have been able to, nobody would be able to cope with it. You'd no. come out of it with some sort of mental illness. Uh, it's horrendous, the things that they've been through. So, but I wanted to give Tool of the Week to Jim oh, Molan. Yes. Jim Molan. Uh, who went to Iraq to uh, defend all of us. He was a hero, according to him, in Iraq. Really? And, uh, yeah, didn't you see him saying... A legend at his own lunchtime, was he? Because he's been criticised and he got all up on on his uh, high horse. And, of course, he's going to sue Adam Bant now because Adam Uh said something about him, about Fallujah, and I won't go any further than that. Uh, And then he said he had to uh, apologise.